Welcome to the Service Management Leadership Podcast with Jeffrey Tiefertiller. Welcome back to another Service Management Leadership Podcast. Returning is David Cannon, friend of the podcast. David, you doing all right? I am doing great. Thanks, Jeffrey. How are you doing? I am awesome. And so Good. this topic of change management, change enablement is near and dear to my heart. And for one basic reason, I think there are too many, I know there are too many change related outages across every organization. I follow Microsoft on Twitter in once a day, a few times a week, they will publicly say, hey, we had this outage, we're uh, rolling back the change. You're thinking, I'm glad for their transparency, but Microsoft with all of their redundancy still has change related outages, which tells me that we all have something to learn there. So as I asked in a previous one, what are about another uh, process or practice, what are three ways that every organization can think about how to improve their, uh, their change enablement, change management practice? What are three ways that most organizations can do better? Um, okay, so the, the first one for me is stop trying to push everything through a change advisory board. That's great. <laughs> That's great. Because um, we need to match, David, I'm interjecting here because we have yeah. to match risk. We have to match risk and assess risk and match that level to the change and handle it accordingly, whatever that means. No, exactly. And, you know, this, this whole very often it's like, but it has to go through the cab because just, you know, what, what if we, what if we didn't know something? What if we didn't detect a dependency? Um, you know, that's a really, really expensive way to check for dependencies than uh, getting your configuration management discipline in order. Um, that's a far better way of being able to detect your dependencies. You know, do a little bit of basic service mapping and architecture, and uh, you know that's that's a far better use of, uh, of of money and time than having you know thirty to fifty people in some organizations I've been part of sitting for an hour a week on a change advisory board on the off chance that somebody forgot about something. Uh, that they should have remembered while they were making the changes. This just doesn't make any sense at all. Um, and of course, the, then you have people saying, yes, but but ITIL recommends a cab. Um, yeah, I think if if that's the answer, then go back and read ITIL. ITIL was very specific. It said there are certain types of change which you're not too sure about. They have a lot of unknown elements to them and they have they're of a reasonable size probably a good idea to get more than two or three people to take a look at it just to make sure it is and you know the cab is not the norm it's the exception yes it, it is <laughs> that's what it is now there is another part of the cab which i think is very important the cab is there to define principles uh, and decision making guidelines as to how changes should be managed they really advise the change manager or change management team on, on how to set boundaries. Like at what point should something go to somebody else? At what financial value, at what level of complexity, et cetera. So the change advisory board should really be providing more of an advisory role in creating these, these principles and in some cases rules on how changes should be managed rather than combing through spreadsheet after spreadsheet after spreadsheet of individual 
patches being applied, etc. That just doesn't work. So the second point that I have is something positive. So I've told you what not to do. And the second point is really take a look at your change models. And that basically means, you know, we need to understand the context in which changes are happening. We discussed this last time on the, on the incident management podcast. And that is that for us to truly manage incidents properly, we have to understand the context in which those incidents occur. The same thing is true for change management. So which system slash solution slash infrastructure device is being changed? Who is making that change? What services does it support? How, what is the impact should that change go wrong? All, all that will determine how you should be managing that change. And I, you know, you started out by saying, you know, the, the level of risk and the level of change control should be consistent with each other. And that is absolutely right. So a change model, um, let's, let's put it in even plainer language, a change model is a simple workflow that says, if you get this kind of change and it's at this level, in other words, it exceeds this threshold of financial value or it's at this level of impact or it affects this particular business function, then this is how you should deal with it. Um, it's not necessarily a pre-approved change, but it will tell you exactly who you should speak to and what you should do. And as long as you've done that, then go ahead and make the change. It doesn't need to go to the cab. Um, if we understand the type of change enough, well enough, we should be able to manage it without having to refer it back to a change advisory board. Change advisory board is there for things that we don't really understand or for things that we're not sure about, uh, for things that there really isn't a change model for, or things that are really super significant. They have an extremely high impact. There are at least 10 different groups that are involved in making the change. And they, you know, the change advisory board is a way of making sure that they're all talking to each other. Does it have to happen at the weekly cab meeting? No, it could be an ad hoc meeting that's called whenever that change request is submitted. But so again, um, the context of the change will determine how that change gets managed. And context, as I've said, means a whole bunch of different things from the impact, should we get it wrong, the complexity of that change, the financial value of the change, the financial impact should that change get, go wrong, how many people are involved in making the change? What kind of skills are necessary? Is there a vendor involved? All of these things, we need to understand them in order to make sure that that change goes through the right sort of um, management model or that, that workflow and that the right people are involved at the right times. You know, in um, again, we spoke in a previous podcast about the shift from heavily centralized control to a more distributed uh, model of governance. But I think it's really important to recognize that no matter how distributed something becomes, it still has to be governed, not necessarily controlled in that I don't have to tell if I'm a change manager, I don't have to tell that particular software group how to, uh, how to manage their backlog and how to, how to prioritize their sprints. I don't need to be involved in that. Right. That's up to them. But what I do need to know is, you know, when that's going to hit 
the um, the live environment so that we can make sure that the service desk is aware of it so they can provide support so that we can, you know, this kind of thing. There needs to be that level of coordination. And that coordination, that level of coordination is what in the ITIL 4 is called enablement. Um, it is enablement, but I don't think let's, let's not lose sight of the fact that it is also a form of governance. Yes. Um, and, and my third area was just really a follow-on from this, which is automate. Yes. When you have a model and it's working, automate it so that you don't have to go through these very manual processes of approval and uh, an assessment. If you can do it in an automated fashion, you should uh, change management as a process, as a, as a set of activities that people have to do should only exist for the types of changes which require intervention yep. um, from somebody other than the person making the change. And we can automate with through the tooling. So uh, yeah. those are great points. I was only going to pile on and add to what you were talking about with the cap. When you were talking about 30 to 50 people, that's an expensive meeting. You think of what's the cost. And so how can we help that, right? And the other thought is, if we're trying to review 100 things and we treat them all equally, it's harder to get them all right. But if we're only yeah. trying to evaluate five things that are the most difficult, the highest risk, the most peril involved, we can really focus our efforts on those five instead of treating the non-risky right. ones and the risky ones the same, it's hard for us to you know, keep focus. Yeah. Exactly. And so another thing is get your categories right. Mm -hmm. Make sure you've categorized your changes correctly before they start. And just another thing on that is um, perhaps at the end of every change that's assessed at a CAD meeting, the final question should be, should this change come through the CAB in future? Yeah. And if not, delegate somebody to actually create a change model for it and then automated. I'm with you. And I will even say you could use the cab for the reviewing of metrics, doing post-implementation reviews, things of that that are retrospect that are really process improvement, you know, that are really our continual improvement. Because yeah. what we thought of as change management in the past or even today will not be what we think of it tomorrow. And we have to evolve. That's just my view. Oh, absolutely. Um, by the way, there, there was a, there's an example of, uh, of something in, a, in an organization that I was working for a couple of months ago uh, who had implemented a very simple measure so that a change didn't have to come through the cab. And for certain types of changes, they just had the, the two-person rule. And the rule was the person who made the change had to get somebody else to review it and sign it off. If the change failed, both of them were called onto the carpet. So what happened, of course, the first few times is there were some very red faces and, and um, you know, it wasn't very pleasant. Uh, but actually, it's become an extremely effective way of managing changes that don't have to go through to the cab. Uh, you know, you just have somebody who is kind of there to help you and support you, make sure you didn't forget anything double check with you and the two of you are supporting each other so that you're going to make sure that this thing works. And I, I thought it was very simple and a very elegant way of, uh, of dealing with that, those categories of changes within that organization. Yep. That is, a, that's a great way for us to end. 
David, thank you uh, for lending your knowledge and expertise. And the next one is another one of my favorites, the configuration management and CMDB. So everyone tune in next time. Thank you, David. Thank you, Jeffrey. See you next time. Bye-bye.